0: Welcome, everyone. We have a fun episode here today. You're going to hang in with me through this little experiment that we're doing. We're talking to our uh, our friend here, Mr. Chat GPT, as a podcast host today. Yes, as a strength coach. So I'm going to walk you through this conversation. I have not prepped any of this, so I want to do it live just to have some fun here. Uh, it's been, those of you not familiar, Chat GPT. Is that little artificial intelligence thing that I've heard about now? Three point or three point five is free. That's what I'm using. But you can also use the Bing Microsoft Bing AI, which I use as well. That runs Chat GPT four. It's not on the actual Chat Open AI website. It's on Microsoft Bing, and that's a great tool for learning. Use it a bunch. Uh, Learn about gradient descent and all this other weird stuff that you guys might not care about that I find interesting, but you can also use it for strength conditioning stuff as well. It tends to be pretty darn accurate. But today we're going to have a little conversation with Mr. ChatGPT. I'm typing in the prompt right now. I said, take on the role of a sports science strength coach. You have access to all books and information on this topic. You guys might hear me typing away. Uh, I want you to be a podcast guest. I'm not sure if that's the right prompt, but we'll start there and see what happens. And it always says, you know, as an AI language model, I'm not capable of appearing on podcasts as a guest. However, I can certainly provide information and role on a sports science strength coach. It always says, I can't do this. And then it kind of continues the the uh, process of telling you it can. And so we're going to have to massage the uh, the prompts here a little bit to try and get what we want. Let's see, it says, as a sports science strength coach, my primary focus would be developing on customized training programs for athletes with the goal of improving their overall physical performance. This would involve working closely with athletes to assess their individual strengths and weaknesses as their training history and injuries or limitations they may have. I'd also need to stay up to date with the latest research, best practices in the field of sports science and strength and conditioning in order to provide the most effective evidence-based training programs possible this would involve reading books research articles attending conferences workshops and networking with other professionals in the field in addition to designing training programs that also need to monitor athletes progress and adjust their programs as needed this would involve regularly assessing their physical performance and making any necessary changes to their training regimen to ensure that they continue to make progress towards their goals as a sports science strength coach I would need to have a deep understanding of the human body, how it responds to different types of training. I also need to be able to communicate effectively with coaches and other members of athlete support team to ensure that everyone's working together towards the same goals. Overall, being a sports science strength coach is a challenge, but rewarding role that requires lots of hard work, dedication, expertise in the field of strength, conditioning and sports science. Well, that's great to hear, but tell me a little bit about how you assess an athlete the athletes you work with. So I said, tell me how you assess the athletes you work with. And it says, this is kind of cool. Assessing athletes is an important part of being a sports scientist. It allows them to identify their strengths and weaknesses, as well as any imbalances or limitations they may have. This information is crucial for developing effective training programs, and they are tailored to individual needs of each athlete. There are several different methods I might use to assess athlete needs depending on their sport and specific needs. Some common assessment methods include movement screening. This involves assessing an athlete's movement capacity, sorry, assessing an athlete's movement patterns to identify any imbalances or compensations that may increase their risk of injury. Common screening methods and tool include the FMS, Functional Movement Screen, and Selective Functional Movement Assessment, the SFMA. As for strength testing, this involves assessing an athlete's maximal strength in different exercise, such as the squat, deadlift, bench press, or overhead press. This information can help identify any specific areas where an athlete may need to improve their strength. They also might use power testing. This involves assessing an athlete's ability to produce force quickly. Kind of accurate, maybe rate of force development's a better word, but you get the idea, which is important for sports that require explosive movements, such as sprinting or jumping. Common power tests include methods such as the vertical jump of the standing and long jump, um, endurance testing, mobility and flexibility testing. Once I have assessed an athlete using these methods, I can use the information to develop a customized training program that addresses individual needs and goals. Well, uh, When working with a basketball player, please break down the assessment process. I like basketball. I like to play basketball. Let's see if chat GPT is going to take my job. So far, it's pretty good. One of the uh, more interesting aspects, I think it doesn't really have the conversation piece in this one. The being one typically has a little more conversation thread. This one is kind of like a living Wikipedia, I suppose. But with enough conversation and kind of you simply train it during the the, the exchange, you can get some information. So, Here it is. Sure. Here's an example of how I might assess a basketball player. So it starts with a movement screen. The first step is assessing a basketball player. We perform a movement screen to identify any imbalances or compensation that could increase their risk of injury. For basketball players, common areas of concern might include ankle, knees, hips, shoulders, and back. I think that's kind of everybody, but sure. During the movement screen, I would have the athletes perform a series of exercises assessing their mobility, stability, and patterns. For example, I might have them do the following exercises. A deep squat to assess their hip and ankle mobility as well as their their ability to maintain a stable torso. They might use a single leg balance test. This assesses their ankle and hip stability as well as their ability to maintain balance on one leg. Might use a lunge. This assesses their hip and knee mobility as well as their ability to maintain proper alignment. So let's ask a little bit about that because it does go on to talk about strength testing and power testing. But it's a podcast, guys. Let's have a conversation with this thing. So what do you look for? What specifics do you look for in the deep squat assessment? It has other answers, by the way. We'll go into strength testing, but we'll ask it some questions along the way. So, you know, hey, Mr. Coach, what do you look for? When performing a deep squat assessment, there are several things I'd be looking for. Here are some. Depth. First thing I'd... Look for is whether the athlete is able to squat an appropriate depth. For most athletes, a full squat is defined as lowering the hips below the knees. However, this can vary depending on individuals' anatomy mobility. So I would take into this account when assessing their squat depth, which is pretty fair. Knee alignment. I would also assess the athlete's knee alignment during the squat. Ideally, the knee should track over the toes without collapsing inward, known as valgus collapse, or pushing outward, known as varus collapse. This can be an indicator of hip and ankle stability, as well as overall alignment of the lower body. Heel contact. The athlete should be able to keep their knee, their knee, their heels in contact with the ground throughout the squat. If the heels come up, it can be an indicator of tightness in the ankles or calves or weakness in the lower leg muscles. Foot positions. The athlete's foot position can also provide important information about their mobility and stability. They should be able to maintain a neutral foot position, not excessively turned in or out throughout the squat, which can be an indicator of hip and ankle mobility. Trunk position. Finally, I would assess the athlete's trunk position. During the squat, they should be able to maintain relatively upright posture without excessive leaning or rounding the low back. So Let's figure out if an athlete has poor knee alignment, if the athlete tests poorly with knee alignment during this movement i should say so it doesn't get confused is the general knee align- knee alignment during this squat assessment what are some interventions you might provide remember it said at the beginning how i can't say i am not a strength coach and then chat gpt goes on to assume the role funny how that works all right If the athlete tests poorly with knee alignment during the deep squat assessment, there are several interventions I might provide. Here are a few examples. Foam rolling and stretching. Tightness in the hips and ankles can contribute to poor knee alignment during the squat. Therefore, one intervention might be to incorporate foam rolling and stretching stretching exercises to improve mobility in these areas. For example, foam rolling the quads, hamstrings, and calves, as well as performing stretches like the hip flexor stretch and the calf stretch could be helpful. Next, we move into strengthening exercises. Weakness in the glutes and hips can also contribute to poor knee alignment during the squat. Therefore, one intervention might be to incorporate strengthening exercises to target these areas. For example, the glute bridges, hip thrusts, and lateral band walks can be effective for improving hip and glute strength. Cueing, sometimes poor knee alignment during the squat, can be a result of technique or body awareness deficiencies. In these cases... Providing cues to help the athlete maintain proper alignment can be helpful. For example, cues like push your knees out or keep your weight behind your heels. Oh, sorry. Keep your weight in your heels can be useful for improving knee alignment during the squat. Modifications. Depending on the severity of the knee alignment, it may be necessary to modify the squat exercise to reduce injury risk. For example, incorporating box squats, which limit range of motion, or using a wider stance can help improve knee alignment while allowing the athlete to perform the exercise safely. It's important that the interventions will depend on the specific needs of the athlete, the individual assessment results. So let's go a little bit deeper here. Can you provide an example program? I just said, can you provide an example program? Maybe that's too vague. I don't know. Oh, it's not. Sure. I can provide an example program from improving knee alignment during the squat. Please keep in mind that this is just an example. A program would need to be tailored to the athlete's specific needs and assessment results. Thanks for the caveat. Week one to two, foam roll and stretching. So foam roll quads, hamstrings, and calves. 30 seconds per muscle group. Then we have some hip flexor stretches and some calf stretches Within that weeks one to two, we have strengthening exercises, glute bridges, three sets of 12, lateral band walks, two sets of 10, body weight squats with cueing for knee alignment, three sets of 10. Then weeks three to four, we have the continued foam rolling and stretching, no changes there, but we appear to have an increase in strengthening exercises. So we have hip thrusts, three sets of 10, lateral band walks, two sets of 10, and now we're having box squats. So we've moved from body weight to box squats. I'm assuming this is going to be with some weight, didn't say, but three sets of eight. Week five, we continue the foam rolling and stretching. No changes there. And then strengthening exercises move into barbell squats with light weight, focusing on technique and knee alignment. So maybe the weeks three to four is light loaded, maybe like a goblet squat. It wasn't barbell. I mean, we don't know. A mystery still. Romanian deadlifts. Lateral step-ups, cueing knee alignment. The program gradually progresses from basic body weight squats with cueing to more challenging exercises like box squats and barbell squats. While also incorporating exercises to strengthen the glutes and hips, the foam rolling and stretching exercises included will also target the ankle mobility, the hip, and other tissue tightness. (laughs) Gee whiz, Mr. ChatGPT. This is kind of impressive. You're doing a very good job so far. Pretty detailed. Um, so that was just the deep squat. Let's go back to the initial conversation where I asked about how would you assess a basketball player, and it mentioned power testing. Power is important basketball players as they need to be able to produce explosive movements like jumping and sprinting. To assess power, I might use tests like vertical jump and standing long jump. These tests might. Wow, well, apologize. I can't read as well it can, as it can write. These tests might measure how high or far an athlete can jump and can be used to track improvements in power over time. What are some... Let's ask a question about the power testing. What are some interventions you would provide if the athlete has poor power testing? All right, let's see. If an athlete has poor power testing results, there are several interventions I might provide. Plyometric training pretty good off the bat. Plyometric exercises involve explosive movements that require the muscles to generate maximal force in a short amount of time. Plyometric training can help improve power by increasing the rate of force development, which is the ability to generate force quickly. Exercises like box jumps, depth jumps, lateral bounds can be effective for improving power. Olympic lifting. Olympic lifts like the power clean and snatch require explosive triple extension of the hips, knees, and ankles, which could be effective for improving power. These lifts can also improve coordination, which is important for maximizing power output. It's important to note that Olympic lifts are technically demanding and require proper instruction and supervision to ensure safety. i going to ask about that in a second. Strength training. Strength training can be effective for improving power, especially when focused on lifting explosively. Exercises like the squat, deadlift, and bench press can be formed with explosive intent to improve power. Velocity-based training. Dear God, ChatGPT. You sick animal. You're doing very well with these answers right now. Velocity-based training (laughs) involves using sensors to measure speed of bar during lifts. By adjusting the weight based on bar speed, athletes can train the optimal load for improving power. This approach can be effective for athletes who may not respond well to traditional strength training or plyometrics. All right, well, let's ask some questions here before it takes my job. Um, What if the athlete does not like Olympic lifting (laughs) haha a lot of us don't are there alternatives Uh, yes there are, are wow there are alternatives to Olympic lifting that can still improve power here are a few so medicine ball training medicine ball exercises Involve explosive movements similar to Olympic lifts, not nearly the same amount of load, but with less technical skill required. Exercises like overhead throws, chest passes, and rotational throws can be effective for improving power. Jump training, well, we talked about that already. Kettlebell swings involve hinge movement patterns similar to deadlift. Resistance band training. Resistance band can be used to add accommodating resistance to traditional strength exercises like squats and deadlifts. Yes. This can be this can be I'm laughing because this is a pretty good answer. It's gonna help increase the difficulty of movement in the later stage of lift. They're capable. Give me some examples of how you might load the squat with accommodating resistance. Accommodating, why did I say it like that? Accommodating? I, I can't spell, and thankfully chat GPT autocorrects my spelling for me. It's basically running this conversation for me. Accommodating resistance involves using resistance bands or chains to add variable resistance to traditional strength exercises like squats. The the additional resistance provided by the bands or chains increases as the athlete moves through the range of motion, making the lift more challenging in the later stages when the muscles are capable of generating more force. Here are some examples. Resistance band squats loop resistance band around the top of the squat rack, attach them to the barbell. Top of the squat rack. As the pause, I'm trying to figure this out. Resistance band squats. Loop the resistance band around at the top of the squat rack. Squ- top. Is this like a band-assisted squat? Maybe. It has. Well, okay. Maybe that's a typo. First typo, Chat. <laughs> oh, caught you, Chat GPT. and the depth of this conversation, you make one mistake. As the athlete squats down, the resistance band increases, making the lift more challenging. Well, that doesn't make any sense. That We got one, guys. We got one win here. <laughs> that resistance band squat makes zero sense. Somehow by putting bands on top of the rack, when we squat down, it makes it more challenging. Well, we win one. Let's continue. Chain squats. Drape chains over the ends of the barbell. Load the bar with weight plates as usual. As the athlete squats down, the chains come off the ground and add additional resistance. So I think it's saying squats down it's confused. It means squatting up. So in both situations, it has the inverse application of chains. Somehow when you squat down, the chains come off the ground, unless you're in some weird Cambridge system or pulley system, that's not going to be the case. It's going to be off the ground and you go up. So we'll just pretend it made that mistake. Okay. So it says resistance, band squats, chains, combination of band and chains you can use, reverse band squats, this is the one where you loop the thing on the top and you go down as the athlete squats down, the band assists in lifting the weight, making the lift easier in the lower position where the lifter is weakest and then add additional resistance to the upper position where the athlete is stronger. So it struggled a little bit with some of the details. Can you build me a program? Can you oh, build me a Give me an example training day when I need to incorporate... Jumps, knee alignment exercises, and accommodating, we'll just say, and power exercises. All right, we'll give it a minute here. Sure, here's an example, train day, that incorporates knee alignment exercises, power exercises, and some of the jump exercises. So it has the warm-up basically says, pick what you want for a up. It doesn't say that, but it says five to 10 minutes of cardio, then mobility drills, mobility drills, improve joint range of motion, prepare the body for exercises, then a deep squat assessment. So we'll actually do the assessment again to identify any specific areas to make sure we're making progress or not. Then we'll do the knee alignment exercises, perform exercise to address the knee alignment then the jump training exercise to improve power. This could include exercise like box jumps, bra jumps, lateral, three to four sets of six to eight reps, resting 60 to 90 seconds between sets. That's actually a lot better than it used to be. He used to tell me just rest 30 seconds. Power training, perform power exercise to improve overall strength and power output. This could be exercise like power cleans, medicine ball slams, kettlebell swings, perform three to four sets, six to eight reps, 60 to 90 seconds, and a cool down. That's actually not bad at all. Now let's go all, let's kind of, we kind of, gone off the beaten path of this conversation. We'll continue here. We'll ask a couple more questions. I'm going scrolling back to the top, so forgive me for this pause here. By the way, chat GPT so far is kind of, kind of scary. Pretty accurate, man. This thing is pretty wild. When I first used this like three weeks ago, two weeks ago, three, two weeks ago, it wasn't that good. It was good, but not that great. This is pretty impressive. Let's Talk about. Monitoring. Turn athletes. I assume you use. GPS. Tracking. How do you leverage use this? Keep it simple. Tool. For load management. (laughs) <laughs> Let's see if it knows how to answer the right load management question. Yes, GPS tracking is a useful tool for monitoring athletes and managing their training load. GPS technology allows us to measure various performance metrics and parameters such as distance, covered, speed, acceleration, provide valuable insights to the training load and overall athlete's fitness. To use GPS tracking for load management, we typically collect data during training sessions and matches, and then analyze the data to determine an athlete's workload. This workload can be measured in various ways, including total distance, high-speed running distance, high-speed running distance, and sprint distance. Based on this workload data, we can adjust an athlete's training program to ensure that they are not under or overtrained. For example, if an athlete has high workload in one week, we might reduce the intensity or volume of their training session in the following week to allow for recovery. Conversely, if an athlete has a low workload week, we might increase the intensity or volume of the training sessions to ensure that they're being challenged appropriately. Additionally, GPS tracking can also monitor athletes fatigue level and injury risk. For example, if an athlete's workload has become consistently high over a period of time, we might consider reducing their training load to avoid injury or burnout. Let's ask about that. So let's see. what. Well, I want to ask. I make sure I want to ask about its load management. I don't want to give it the answer, but I want to say it can be used to athletes fatigue and injury. For example, what are some ways you measure, uh, you determine, I should say, if the workload has been too high? I'm not going to say GPS or anything. Let's just see if I can pick it up. Uh, It might be a little vague. I should have said GPS. Okay, it basically says injury rate. If athletes experience a high injury rate, and maybe because sign of workload has been too high, this is performance decrement. Subjective measures. We got to ask that question again because I screwed that up. Heart rate variability. Great answers, by the way. Just not related to the conversation. What are some ways you use GPS to determine? Proper workloads. How about let's try that. GPS tracking can provide useful insights, blah, blah, blah. So distance covered, number one. GPS tracking measures an athlete's total distance covered during a train session. This information can be used to determine total volume of work. Speed. So high speed outputs. By analyzing the speed data, we can determine if they're performing appropriate. Acceleration decelerations. Work to rest ratios. But how do you know if the workload has been too high are there any specific ratios of workload acute i'll give the answer a little bit acute to chronic that you might use Trying to see if it can pull up 10 gabits acute to chronic here. Yes. (laughs) Let's see if this gets this. Yes, there are specific ratios of workload that we might use to determine. The workload has been too high. One commonly used ratio is acute to chronic workload ratio, which compares an athlete's current workload to acute workload, to their previous workload, chronic workload. I'm sorry. I read that like an idiot because this thing's filling it out. You guys are at home listening. This thing like types and it scrolls the screen. So the fact I've been reading it this well is pretty impressive. It's kind of like a teleprompter. Screwed that one up. So yes, there are specific ratios of workload that we might use to determine if the workload has been too high. One commonly used work, one commonly used ratio is acute to chronic workload ratio (ACWR), which compares an athlete's current workload, acute workload, to their previous workload, chronic workload, over a set period of time. The ratio is calculated by dividing the athlete's acute workload by their chronic. If an athlete's ACWR is too high, they've increased their workload too quickly, they may be at higher risk of injury or illness. Conversely, if they're too low, they may not be making optimal progress in their training. There is no one-size-fits-all ACWR that works for all athletes, as different sports and different individuals have different training demands and response rates. However, a commonly used range... For ACWR is between 0.8 and 1.3. A ratio below 0.8 suggests that the athlete is underloaded and not adequately challenged, while a ratio above 1.3 suggests that the athlete is overloaded and may be increased for risk of injury or illness. In addition, ACWR, other workload ratios that may be used include the session training. In addition to, I should say, ACWR, other workload ratios. That may be used in training. So it might be perceived exertion. um, The distance ratio. These ratios can also provide valuable insights in the athlete's workload and help us determine if the workload has been too high. Ultimately, we use a combination of these ratios and other workload measures along with athlete feedback and objective measures such as GPS tracking to monitor and adjust athlete's workload to optimize training and minimize risk of injury and illness. Ah, wow, good answer. I wonder if ChatGPT could get a sports science job with an interview. I think so. I think ChatGPT could get a sports science interview. It's actually funny. As I say that, we have some severe weather storm sirens going off. It's like sounding the alarm on all strength coaches. I don't know if you guys can hear that on the microphone, but I decided to give you guys a taste of what it sounds like here with the uh, ongoing sirens. So I I, I want to stop there because, firstly, I'm kind of slowly progressing to fail to read this correctly. Takes a little bit of wind out of me. It's a, not an easy conversation to have with a robot. But secondly, <laughs> pretty darn impressive, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I'd i be willing to put money that Chat GPT could get a sports science job. I'd be willing to... I'd actually be willing to bet a lot of money if... You went into a sports science job meeting with the right prompts, and you just had Chat GPT in your ear, like an interview. You could probably, you could at least pass off as a sports scientist. You might get the job. No, that's all. <laughs> that's all I have for today. I appreciate you guys listening. AI, beware, man. This stuff is real, and this is like the, the the level one version. There's a level two out right now. There's more to come. So, if you're not a early adopter, you're gonna fall behind. All right. Thanks for listening, guys.